today's episode, we'll be talking about the pros and cons of the movie-going experience in Tavern Talk. And then in the main discussion, we talk about Queen's 1986 live album, Live at Wembley Stadium. Then we preview the next episode, which will be about Flight of the Concords Season 1. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and we'll be together till we fucking will die. With me, as always, are Peter. I say what I want. And Barrio. What? Hi. <laughs> That's what he says. He says, I say what I want. I'm sorry. I say what I want. Yeah, no, it, it was really good. It just took me by surprise. But that's, that's a good <laughs> opening. And I am Inon. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, we're going to talk about Queen and their 1986 Live at Wembley Stadium album. Uh, but before we do that, let's enjoy a bit of tavern talk. Today we're talking about the movie-going experience. I recently had an interesting talk about it with a friend, and she really hates going to the cinema. And I have to say, like, I found that I agree with a lot of the arguments that she made against going to the movies. And with all of the quarantine going right now, like, people might find out that they don't really miss going to the movies that much. So I really wanted to know what you guys think about it. I think I myself kind of lean towards still liking going to the movies but what do you guys think what well first what type of cinema goer are you are you the one that only goes on like the cheapest day and gets like discount tickets or do you go do you go like full out do you like order bar service and get like wine delivered to you wow you have really good cinema in in australia oh yeah our cinema is like there's like an arms race now for like how much alcohol they can arm you with before you go in to see like the latest Brad Pitt movie. It's it's insane. Oh wow! Um, there's a new cinema. It's called the Palace, the Rain Rain Square Cinema um, in Perth, and there's sort of like a lobby which you go into before the movie starts, and then they then they say, well, you can order stuff now, so you can order like Turkish bread and olives and dips and stuff. And then Oof. you can order stuff to bring with you into the cinema. So you can bring like um, beer or wine or spirits or something like that. And then you can also order stuff that they'll bring to you during the movie. So you can like say, oh, an hour in, can you bring me like a cheeseburger or like with half an hour to go, could you bring me like a wow. Coke or something? Yeah, you convinced me. Forget about this discussion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely well, if, insane. If, if you can actually order something that will arrive in the middle of the movie, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a dream. And like we used to just have like one or two chains that did it, but now I think every cinema sort of has at least one sort of cinema that that has this stuff. So, because they make a killing off the food, and usually um, the food that they bring is sometimes like stuff that you can get like close by so like they don't often use their own kitchen but like there might be a burger place or something by so it's not cinema food like microwaved yeah. it's like you know mm-hmm. it's like decent food but to just bring it straight upstairs to you that so sounds awesome yeah oh, i'm a yeah. big fan i went with my dad to see um i saw jojo rabbit actually with my dad mm. and um i saw it in one of these sort of cinemas and i had like chicken nugget like halfway through and then i had like a beer and then i had like a tea from like one of my favorite tea places so it was just 
a really good experience. It's sort of like, it feels like you're in sort of like a hotel, but you're also watching a movie. But um, I have one particular friend that loves to do that. He just says, well, if we're going to go to movies, let's go opening night. Let's go to the deluxe sort of experience. But I have other friends that sort of go, when they just want to see the movie. They would see it at home, but- it's only because when movies first come out, you have to go to the cinema. You don't have the choice. So yeah. they just say, let's just go anytime, sit in the middle, get a good seat, watch it. And I, I still like that as well. So like even the food and drinks aside, I still like going to the cinema, but I just like going with friends that also like sort of like fine dining in the cinema mm. <laughs> if, the, if that's um still holds up. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. Here in Israel, there's... somewhat of an arms race between the cinemas to get better and more interesting and stuff. It's not as much as like what you've described right now, but I think the the biggest thing here is you can get this VIP ticket, which allows you to get there, I think an hour before the movie. And then you can go into this VIP section, which has, you know, all you can eat pizza and, and ice cream and, Ooh. and, you know, everything from the uh, concession stand and everything. And okay. like, I, I think it also has these like very nice chairs inside and all kinds of stuff. But I think I went to that one time and I was late. So I had to go like straight into the theater. So I missed oh, the, no. the experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's on you, baby. Yeah. No, that's on me. Definitely. <laughs> um, this is like a cultural study now. So like what sort of chairs and stuff do you have in your cinemas? Uh, we got like these leather couches that, that can... Um, Well, reclinable. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, we have the same thing. No, but those in the in the VIP ones, the, the regular ones are just, you know, like old theater, very comfy. They're, they're getting bigger and, and, you know, you have more space than usually, like than I remember from when I was a kid in theaters, but they're still just regular chairs. I'm sure there's some bad ones in Australia as well, but for the most part, they're sort of phasing out the old chairs mm-hmm. and now... Even like the most basic level sort of has like recliners and stuff like that. So it's awesome. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's getting pretty deluxe in Australia. How much does a movie ticket cost? Um, in Australia, I think it would cost around $15 to $16, maybe $16, which it's is- a bit expensive. It is a bit expensive. Actually, that's, that's pretty much, I think, how it, how much it costs here. Yeah, but here it's, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, actually, it's more expensive here than in Australia. Yeah, the regular ticket. Our basic experience of going to the cinema is kind of expensive here in Israel. And you actually get less. Jesus. Yeah. Wait, so we said it's an explicit episode, right? Fuck. <laughs> well, I can tell you that I don't know how, how much I would love going to the cinema with you know, all the experience that you've described, Peter. But here today, I love going to the cinema. I go fairly often with my girlfriend. And I try to go when I know there won't be a lot of people there. Like, I will really try not to go uh, when, when, when they premiere a movie. I went to the last Star Wars uh, when it came out because I didn't want to have any spoilers. And I hated every second of being surrounded by people. Oh, no. And also, I think I went with you, Barrio, to see Frozen 2 when it came out. Jeez. And like when it was still big and everyone wanted to see it. And the, the cinema was packed. And... I think like people were so excited to see you know Elsa and Anna and all the the characters they recognize 
Do you remember how many people took pictures of the screen with their flash on bio? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I think it was the worst. Like I knew we we're going to talk about it at some point, but that was my worst cinema experience ever. At some point, <laughs> there were a couple of girls, uh, like from my right, that started whispering, are they going to sing like that all the movie? It's freaking Disney <laughs> Frozen movie. Of course, they're going to sing all, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> what did you expect spoilers yeah. <laughs> i kind of like going to the premieres i know for a lot of like the super hyped up movies like um i think i went to the premiere for batman versus superman and justice league because um you know i i quite like comic books so i'm, I'm kind of get pumped up for these but unfortunately um dc movies have been very disappointing so oh yeah um but yeah, I've been to quite a few, um, like, Avengers Endgame and stuff like that. I go quite a few of these sort of opening screenings. And sort of when you go to an opening screening, like, there's a weird sort of vibe. Like, there's some people that are, like, diehard fans and, like, you you feel like you barely know the characters after you see some of these people who are talking about, like, Easter eggs and stuff. But then, like, you kind of feel like you're just going to these premieres just to, like, prove to yourself you're a fan and, like... I'd much rather just go like the next day when it's like half as busy and just sort of enjoy it more. Mm. But then when I get in there and everyone's in there, it's sort of like you feel the vibe of the room. And I remember when I went to Avengers Endgame, like everyone overreacted or reacted when something at the end happened with Captain America. And it's just, it's a good experience. If you're prepared going into it, knowing that everyone's going to be like, <gasps> and like, oh, yeah. what's this? And like, yeah. like muttering and stuff after like a crazy part. And like, you know, people sometimes will whip out their phones and stuff. Like, if you're prepared for that and can so- kind of lean into it a little bit and just say like, it's like going to a bar. Like, if you really wanted to enjoy beer, you just do it at home in your basement. But you go to a bar to sort of like hang out and- you know, socialize and sort of be amongst other people. So if you're kind of feeling like you want to be amongst other people on opening night and sort of be there to experience it, I actually kind of like the cinema when it's busy. But I know if I'm like, if I've gone to a movie not in the first 48 hours, then guaranteed I'm going for like a Tuesday afternoon or something like something really quiet. So then I can just go just by myself. Like I don't, really need to go with friends i'm happy to go to like a cinema which is like known to be quiet and i'll watch it by myself because i quite enjoy that so Mm -hmm. i'm lucky that i've got a cinema near me which is quite deserted almost and then i've got another few which are better for like opening nights and stuff like that yeah i totally like despite what i said earlier watching with a lot of strangers you know it has upsides it helps intensify the the feeling of the movie like you kind of feel what the crowd feels you know like Funny movies are funnier, scary movies are scarier. Yeah. Uh, I. It's not that I didn't have any positive experience with watching with a crowd. I really, really, really love... Forget about the big screen. I love the loudspeakers. Oh, yeah. The, the sound is, yeah. like, the best. Because you're in a room dedicated to it, so... Yep. And not all theaters have these amazing loudspeakers. Like, some, I've been to movies where it was yeah. not as loud as I would want it. But I admit, like, I, I don't think I told you this, but... When the Dark Knight Rises was in the theater. Oh, you'd want that to be loud. 
You'd want that to be super loud, eh? Yeah, that, that's a movie you want loud. I went to see that movie three times, and not because it was a great movie, because like I really like this movie, but it's not the best in the trilogy or anything, but mostly because I really just enjoyed hearing Bane's voice on the loudspeakers. It mm. was just a great experience, only for that. Yeah, I totally agree. That's why, you know, when thinking about which movie um, I should go, it's always like, what would be most beneficial if I if I watch it on a big screen with big speakers in a big room? Like, I found that usually drama movies or, or kind of things that are less um, visual, yeah, watching at home is, is awesome. Mm. But there were other times that, especially if there's a bit of music in, in that flick, that you kind of say, ah, oh, man, I should have went to see it in the cinema while, while it was still on. I had it, uh, do you know the movie uh, The Greatest Showman? Uh, yeah, Hugh Jackman, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I saw it and I thought, oh, that, that looks like a cute movie, but I'll, I'll watch it at home. And just, you know, like five minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I should have watched it. It's, it's like perfect for, it's, it's so visual and with so much um, music and, and singing. It's just amazing, horrible plot, but just everything else is... <laughs> Is beautiful. So let, let me ask you this. Um, if you could organize a screening, like a one-off screening of one film, whatever you want, Ooh. what would it be? This is the greatest show. The greatest showman? Yeah, I think just... I actually did it, by the way. I In my office, we got like a room with a projector with a big screen. I invited like everyone in the company to come see. Eventually, we were about three people, but uh, <laughs> it was still fun. What about you, Peter? Can it be from our top five movies? Definitely. Cool. Um, I'll choose Die Hard because I've never got to see it. Cool. Yeah. Um, in in the cinema. So, like some older movies, I'd like to see. You know, I'd like to see like the first Mission Impossible. Like all these movies that I wasn't old enough to see in the cinema. I saw that one. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw that one in the cinema. When? What, what year did it come out? Oh, I have a guess. Two double oh five. No, 96. Man. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so it came out in 96. I was eight, and I remember my family taking me to see it, and I think I was much too young. Like, I didn't get yeah. anything from the plot, and I think I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> I actually kind of was thinking earlier 2000s, but I was like, uh, for it'd be like mid-2000s, so... If I could organize a one-off screening, I'll choose a movie that I've mentioned twice before, uh, Six String Samurai. Like I said, it's a weird, weird movie, and it features the music of one of my favorite bands, The Red Elvises. I would love to watch it on a big screen with the loudspeakers. I would pay a lot for that. Could be so much fun. <laughs> I just realized that um, they actually did do a um, screening of Die Hard um, about three or four years ago in the cinema, and... Um, because I was just um, browsing through and it came up on my news, actually. It was like, um, oh, they will be doing Die Hard or something. I'm like, oh, great. And the cinema it mentioned was actually the cinema that was really close to me. So I was like, oh, great, I'll book a ticket. But this turns out there's another cinema with the same name in eastern states of Australia, um, <laughs> which was doing it. And I, call I actually called the cinema th that day and I was like, hey, are you guys showing Die Hard? And they're like, who's this crazy guy? No, we're not showing Die Hard. That's an old movie. I was like, <laughs> it's not 1988. Yeah, I know. And I was just like, you should. Like, you definitely should, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I was kind of like, oh, damn. 
would you though? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, no, sorry. <laughs> we earn about 60 cents off every movie. We can't afford to put on random stuff for you. Sorry. So, um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So today we're, for our main discussion, we're going to talk about Queen um, the live album Live at Wembley. Live at Wembley is a album recorded from Wembley Stadium in London in 1986, which is actually sort of like a sequel to Live Aid 1985. As some of you might know, Queen um, had a very historic performance at Live Aid 1985, which sort of raised uh, money for Africa. They did a 20-minute set but uh, by popular demand, they came back a year later and did one of the most listened to live performances, but also their second last live performance um, that they did as a band. We've got a few questions to kick it off um, with you guys. Well, what are your thoughts on, firstly, Queen as a band? Do you guys have much experience? Have you guys seen the film that recently came out? Can you name an album? Like, what, what sort of level are we at? What about you, Anon? Oh, um, I haven't watched the film. I kind of grew up with Queen. I think my family, we used to listen to their Best Of album in the car since I was 13. And, like, you know, it was one of my family's favorites. Throughout the years, I've listened to a few of their albums. I really love this band. I really love Brian May. I think he's one of my favorite guitarists. And every time I listen to Queen, I think maybe this is a good opportunity to really get to know them. Maybe this is a time to like read about the history and see what they've done and read about the other members. Like, you know, I knew a bit about Freddie Mercury. I knew, I knew a bit about Brian May, but I didn't know anything about John Deacon or Roger Taylor. So I always thought maybe this is the time to get to know them. And I never did. So I can't say I know them amazingly well. I never saw them perform live, like not, not even in videos or anything, even though Freddie Mercury and the band are supposed to be like amazing performers. So this has been a real eye-opener for me. What about you, Barrier? I just love Queen. I think ever since I was 12 or 13, something like that, I started hearing them. I think the first one that I heard is... Uh, what's the name of it tonight i'm gonna have myself a real good time don't stop me now don't stop me now yeah yeah it was just so so energetic yeah and i just you know i just fell in love with them right there and then and i got like several queen tracks from different albums and i kind of set my own playlist and those those are my childhood queen songs that i just in love with and I had another weird thing with Quinn is that from the first time I heard him, I thought Freddie Mercury was probably my favorite singer ever. And I I knew that I don't want to ever see him. His voice was so awesome to me that I just wanted to keep it completely separate from the way he actually looks. And I got to say that I still haven't seen... Freddie Mercury face, although I kind of get like, you know, it's been a lot of years uh, since then. So I got, I kind of got the notion, you know, with, uh, with the mustache and, and the teeth. Um, but I love it that I don't really know how, how it looks like. And I got like this 
a, ment- a mental image of a god that <laughs> just you know on a on a stage and just rules it. Would you say if for Halloween a bunch of kids were dressing up as Freddie Mercury, you'd be able to identify them? But if Freddie Mercury came, you'd just think he was like a grown up dressing as Freddie Mercury. Completely right. Yes. <laughs> Just, just completely right. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because because I just adore the guy, and I did, you know, I I was kind of thinking when the movie came out, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I was, I was, it was a real dilemma, you know, for me because I knew that if I'll go there, then it might taint that whole ideal image uh, that I have of him. Of course, um, not watching the real Freddie Mercury, but uh, Remy Malik, I think he he plays him. And eventually I decided to go. I went with my father and brother and it was just great, you know, because first of all, Remy did a great job, right? I think he got a, an Oscar or something. But uh, other than that, I just couldn't leave the notion that this is just simply, you know, Elliot from Mr. Robot. I don't know if you watched that. that yeah, I have. Yeah, so I just couldn't let that go. Yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. So I didn't really feel he, it, he was he was Freddie Mercury, but I got the story. And you know, I think what the movie does really great is that you're just being reminded how great Queen music is. After after watching the movie, like for the next week, I just heard Queen nonstop. So yeah, I, you, you've heard the band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're definitely one of the most interesting bands. Like they're just so talented and the music is so interesting I, I really love him like every time i listen to a song i have to listen to them for a couple of days mm. what about you peter um i'm definitely sort of a the best of compilation fan if that's a thing like i i couldn't tell you like what song is off what album and i could name the members of the band just but i'm i was really not into them much and i think it's partly because i've I've got a lot of my sort of music taste from my dad and i asked my dad uh oh, do you listen to queen a lot and he's like i hate can't stand queen at all so really yeah i think it's the synthesizers well i i think they don't use any synthesizers until like 82 from what i've read they're really proud of it like they used to write on the albums no, no synthesizers synth- included or something yeah. like that And people thought they were like snobbish towards synthesizers, but they were just proud of all the sounds they could make of of their guitars. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's the, I don't know if it's a rock opera or if it's sort of just the the clash between rock and pop, which they sort of traverse quite seamlessly, in my opinion. I don't know. I think he's just not a fan because it's sort of, they sort of prioritize catchiness maybe over some depth in some of their songs from first listen so i'm not saying they're not deep songs but they uh, but the thing they want you to they want you to nod your head before you start thinking about it too much so it might just not be for him so and queen have this weird quality where you could say like the beatles or zeppelin don't age but queen is almost you can't discern what time it's from like sis there's there's songs like under pressure which you would think would come out at least later than 2000. I'm just amazed at the how they were recording it, especially the guitar, um, but just the performance and the guitar and just the way they've they put it all together and produce it as a final package. 
it doesn't feel like 70s and 80s music. It definitely feels like the vibe of 70s, but made in 2000s. So, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, no, but um, just to reiterate, I am sort of like a best of, but um, I recently saw the Freddie Mercury documentary, really. It's more about him, but um, the Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and um, I would say I'm, I, that sort of kick-started another wave. Like, as much as I like some of their songs, I, I sort of sort of listened through some of their albums. I listened through um, A Night at the Opera. I listened through um, the first two albums, Queen and Queen 2. I listened to A Day at the Races, and then I listened to my favourite um, news of the world. I'm sure that will be revised very shortly, probably by the time this comes out. But, um, but I understand their sound a little bit more now. They're very playful. They're a very sort of um, jivey band. They're they're not quite hard rockers like some other bands. They sort mm-hmm. of they're hard rockers, but they're sort of then their ego is not so high where every song has to be heavy. They're they're willing to write a piano ballad where. There's a lot of rock bands which wouldn't be caught dead <laughs> with a piano in their hand. Mm-hmm. They're also exploring a lot of different kind of atmospheres and feel that, like, I couldn't imagine like Zeppelin or or anything else actually exploring the same. I mean, Zeppelin was a pretty diverse band. Like, they sort of had of their acoustic set, they had their metal set, they had their um, sort of the classic Zeppelin. Yeah, but they'll never play a song like, say, Don't Stop Me Now. They will never play a song like Don't Stop Me Now. So it's like a magnitude higher than Zeppelin in terms of um, in terms of breadth of music. I agree. So, yeah, um, yeah without beating a dead horse too much, it's um, sort of a, it's, a, it's new to me. The Queen world is definitely new to me, but um, I don't think I'm dropping them too soon. I think they could sort of start to be one of my top 10 bands and I could see myself be able to rattle off all the albums in the next year or so. So, um, and mainly due to this album, this one really kickstarted as, as much as Bohemian Rhapsody was quite a good one. This one, I feel like showed them at their best. Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody was sometimes a little bit more depressing, um, to do with the storyline, but, um, what are your favorite sort of live bands of all time? So, um, Maybe I'll start off with Barrier. Well, I'm not sure I've I've watched that many uh, live concerts. Um, like Queen, I've never seen live other than what is displayed in the in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Okay, which looks awesome, by the way. Um, I know, I know personally. For me, I've gone through maybe fifty to seventy-five Zeppelin sort of recordings. Oof, so I'm wow. pretty, I'm pretty versed in them. Um, <laughs> I would have done the same with Beatles, but unfortunately, recording quality early 60s wasn't as good, and the, um, well, it's not that it wasn't as good, but they weren't sort of taking audience recordings of of any substance, really, at that time, so, and also they stopped touring after something like 66, when the crowds just got too loud, so. Mm, Yeah. Um, The other one that I really like live is um, Bob Dylan. I think he, he released a sort of a a live album called Hard Rain in, I think it was 1976. And I think, and it kind of fused two different live arena gigs together. And um, he played a lot of his sort of um, earlier tracks. Well, can't play later tracks, I guess, but um, (laughs) he played like a lot of the songs from the 60s in there and a few from the 70s. So I really enjoyed him as well. But it, it is mostly Zeppelin, which is hard rock. It's just a matter of sort of, finding audience recordings or 
or depending on um, if you're lucky enough, sometimes they'll release sort of like a semi-official one. But um, but yeah, this was my first Queen one. So I think like the band easily that I've watched the most live shows is Iron Maiden. I think I've watched like seven or eight of theirs. I have a few of their DVDs. I also attended two of their shows. My favorite live band so far is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. They're just amazing. I saw them live a couple of years ago, and it was probably the best show I ever saw. Like, they played a lot of songs that, you know, like, they don't feel like they would work live, but they changed them, they adapted them, and, you know, like, they, it kind of feels like you can see them creating the songs. And they made them work wonderfully. Also, like, Nick Cave, uh, the, the frontman, he is so good on stage. Like, seeing him perform felt like, you know, what I would imagine a religious experience would feel like. <laughs> and I love that they chose songs from almost all of their albums. Like, it really helped that they finished with, like, a 10-minute version of my favorite song, which is uh, The Mercy Seat, which I have to mention, like, the acoustic version of The Mercy Seat off of the um, B-Sides and Rarities collection is is the best version of that song. I feel like there's... um. There's not two types of bands because you can definitely fall in the middle, but there's bands where you you like all their albums and you go to see them live and they don't perform as well live because th- there's just a lot of studio stuff going on, but you get the gist of it and it was just nice to see them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's all about just like seeing their face and seeing what's happening and stuff. And then there's bands where you say, I wonder if this is going to be the next best version of this song you know yeah. like every mm-hmm. every time they do a performance people are oh this one's a must see like it's like a movie it's like it's pure quality and yeah. people sometimes say oh yeah i like the album version but i personally l- listen to you know 1986's this stadium this day um when i want to listen to this song yeah you know? totally so, yeah i have these kind of songs yeah yeah so um yeah live performance is an interesting bunch i feel like a lot of performances nowadays are sort of falling into the it's like a book tour now like obviously the book is already written you can read it whenever you want but people will sign your copy and i feel like a lot of musicians are sort of taking advantage of that and just doing a light show and then lip singing and stuff but then there's a few innovative people who are doing like sort of stuff live which they want you to experience it like they experience it like in their heads so yeah i kind of feel that like tom waits one of my favorite artists every time he plays a song it's like he plays it for the first time and like he will never play it this way again like it changes (laughs) every time which is you know not all of the versions are just perfect or anything but it's just so fun to see him like do what he does best Uh, and on the other hand i think that queen like in this live show in the live at wembley stadium i think they kind of really stick to the the original versions they did yeah and that's and that's not a bad thing like they did stick to the 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 original versions the album versions but the only thing that like was different is that they brought it to life you know they they played it bigger like not different but that's bigger a, that's a good way to say it yeah let's get into the um the album now Okay, let's just go general thoughts. Were you sort of impressed about this performance? Did it sort of did it let you down or did it surpass your expectations? What what are your general thoughts? 
First of all, it was great. Like you can <laughs> you can really feel the the vibe of the concert. It sounds like madness. Sounds like it's it's worth every penny that you put on the ticket. It was I don't know. For me, it was a bit sad because you could hear that Freddie is not at his best, and and he actually says it. I think in one of the first tracks, he says that's that's as high as I can go. Yeah. And that kind of bums you out. But yeah. Was he really struggling? Because I, I haven't really heard him live all that much, but um, I haven't followed him. But um, he sounded pretty good. Is this early on or um, in the show? or Where he kind of leads the audience, and then they go higher and higher and higher, and then he says, I can't go any higher. Let's go lower. Yeah. I thought that was sort of a joke, though. Like, it was no, a yeah, bit... yeah, but I, I thought it was a joke, but then I listened for, you know, the rest of the show. Every time he got yeah. to around that place... It, it it's it was kind of like he was stretching sort of it. eased off a bit. Yeah, and then whenever there was like a very high pitched bit to sing, uh, he would go lower, and Roger Taylor, the drummer, would pick it up because he's a uh, an yeah. awesome falsetto singer. He is, yeah. Yes, but it was a bit sad, but it also was a bit nice, exactly because of what Inan just said that his bandmates picked the sound up. Yeah, and. Uh, it kind of also connected with the movie. The, the band splits, and then because Freddie becomes a diva and pretty much uh, intolerable to everyone around him, and so he kind of he starts his own solo career, which just crashes. And and then he also learns about you know getting AIDS and and being sick and dying. And then he goes back with everyone else. And I don't know. It it just connected with me like how they accepted him back and and when they're doing this show i don't know they're kind of lifting him up i don't know it, it just um it, it felt nice that like it doesn't make sense to me though because like maybe the movie changes things in terms of chronology because this show was in 86 after this show they performed once more together as a band and then they it's not that they stopped performing but they went on to like work on another album, I think. Yeah. And then Freddie Mercury found out he has AIDS like a year after this show. So. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in real life, after this show, they, uh, there was just one more, and they didn't perform again. They recorded like four more albums, but they never performed again as a band with Freddie. Oh yeah. really? So yes. Yeah, so probably the hmm. the movie took it a bit differently. Okay. Yeah, the film not annoyed me, but um. The, the whole reveal of his sort of um, disease was just before, as they were warming up um, in the studio for their Live Aid performance in 85, but I think it was 78 or something like that when he finally knew. 87. 87, yeah. Um, yeah, so the film could be telling a half-truth there. It might, he might have really known in his heart but he only officially got tested 87. Uh, we don't know. But in fact, I don't think too many people would, would know besides people closest to him. I'm sure they're not sort of keen to divulge everything. But I think he knew in, in 86 when he recorded this, I definitely think he knew he didn't have decades left because especially the line that we started this off, um, we'll be together till we fucking will die. Um, and also the way he sings, I want, who wants to live forever? Yeah. You know, there was mm. a lot of moments where he was sort of foreshadowing a little bit. So, hmm. um, I, yeah, I, it was, it was a little bit sad because they knew for almost five years before the end and they recorded so many albums in that time. So yeah, they just kept recording 
Yeah. And he re- yeah. they said he recorded until the day he couldn't sing anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I watched the show and I listened to the live album. I had so much fun and like it, it encapsulates so much talent in one album. Every band member shines here. So I was having so much fun. Mm. And then I, I found out that this is the second to last show they ever play together. Couldn't believe that when you told me. Yeah. They definitely didn't know it was the second to last show. And no way they knew that. It's, yeah. It blew my mind. Like such a good show. So much talent on one stage. And this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize how final this would be. Yeah. So this is definitely a sad, a sad kind of album. Because obviously going into this as a dweeb, I <laughs> thought, oh, they, maybe their last performance is in the 90, maybe 91 latest. Yeah. But mm-hmm. You know, and then they were—they would have done at least a tour every or a performance every year for eighty-five through ninety, but no, totally yeah. not. This so, is the one, yeah. And also another thing in the film which they'd said was um, in eighty-five when they sort of reunited um, for Live Aid at the last second, it kind of felt like they hadn't been together as a group until Live Aid, but. They released two albums which feature heavily in this live album. Clearly, they weren't split. Either they were split and it wasn't that time, like they got together earlier than 85, or it wasn't as bad as the film. All right. Um, So, what did you think of their um, performance? Like, as um, Inon said, they did play a lot towards the album versions of things, but they definitely made it loud and they definitely brought it to the big stage. What do you think of them as live musicians? Do you think they manage their songs well? Or what sort of were your favorite songs from the live album? I think they were amazing. Like, it's so fun to see their interactions on stage. Or like when Freddie does the air guitar right next to Brian <laughs> May during the, 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 the solos and stuff. And as musicians, like, you'd expect a band of very talented professionals, you know, to be very coordinated and, and play well. But I still think that they're above everyone else they were so good together they were so perfect they didn't miss anything they everything sounded perfect the sound is amazing everything i thought was like bio mentioned it before like freddie mercury wasn't at the top of his game but they knew how to adapt to that i think they were just amazing i think the whole show is one hour and 50 minutes it's it's fucking long pretty long yeah and it doesn't get tiring i had fun each and every time I think they opened amazingly strong. And out of all of it, I think the best part was the, the when they did um, the song Now I'm Here. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Sheer Heart Attack now from I'm 1974. Uh, just an exciting song. And it has this amazing riff. Like, and then the song breaks out. And there's the long, long solo that is just good old rock, you know, with the piano in the background. And the band is just going at it. They just seem to be having the best time. I just love this moment. My favorite um, was probably um, just after the covers and before the encore um, where they did, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody. That was um, probably the the biggest song and got the biggest cheer. Mm -hmm. But then they did a really powerful Hammer to Fall and he screams out, Hammer Hammer to to Fall, fall. and then... Then they go into it. That's a really heavy guitar song. And then he gets out his fucking guitar and plays crazy little thing called Love. Yeah. So two songs from 1984, something about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, And then the, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody. So um, 
Yeah, I thought those three songs sort of encapsulated the performance for me. It was Bohemian Rhapsody, which was just just set is queen through and through. Hammer to Four, which was sort of exemplified the difference between the album and the live performance. Like it was just so much louder. It was maybe a bit dirtier in a good way, but it was still super clean. Brian May is a super clean guitarist. As I said, I listened to a lot of Zeppelin and <laughs> this would be like an insane um, level of cleanliness from Jimmy Page. I would never hear anything like this. It, he just oh, yeah. nailed every note. There was no sort of bits where he's just stitched together two different parts and just sort of made up in the middle. There's none of that. <laughs> it was it was perfect. And um, Crazy Little Thing Called Love was just a really, I don't know, it's just a really quirky song. But some of my other sort of favourite bits was... Um, the We Will Rock You singing, I really enjoyed that. Um, it was sort of fast and dirty singing. I, I, I thought it was quite good. There was a bit where he says, like, um, buddy, you're an old man, poor man. Um, but he sort of says it in a rushed way. But it kind of, I don't know why, but it's just a small thing. It just worked. It just worked. Yeah, it was really nice. My other sort of area which I kind of, I end up playing a lot is the covers section. So um, when, he, mm. when he says... Um, we're going to fool around a bit and he sort of goes into um, into the covers a lot and he sings the You're So Square. I, I felt like he was kind of doing an Elvis impression, like not not an impression as in like just imitating him, but it was very much like his version of it. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And I didn't know it was an Elvis song. So when I looked it up, I was like, oh, explains it all. But I really liked that sort of his lower register in this performance. Like it sounded really... It sounds like a weird word to put in it, but it sounded like pretty delicious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> oh, I regret saying that now. Oh, that's a good choice. But it just sounded so smooth, you know, like, I don't know. I've never heard that from him before. Because when I listen to Queen, I've listened to um, We Will Rock You and like, Don't Stop Me Now. But now there's this like, lower sort of thing yeah he's like he's usually known for the high-pitched vocals yeah so i thought baby i don't care was just an awesome song i thought hello mary lou that was a that was a nice song then the little richard song tutti fruity i thought that was okay um i think the other two mm. were a bit bit nicer and then give me some loving which i didn't really actually know was a cover but it was so the impromptu bit was really cool yeah like um, mm. The bit in impromptu where he sort of goes, um, he's he's bringing the mic towards him and against him. He's like, bah, 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 and then he drops it and he goes, bah, 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 bah. and I was like, wow, that's like, that's, I don't know why. It just sounds so cool when he does it, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. it, like, I could just imagine someone just going up into the stadium trying to do sort of like an impromptu thing and they're just like sort of doing a bit of gospel or something and then, and then they sort of, pump out a few of these, like, non-word words, and then I could just imagine it going so pear-shaped, but um, I don't know why, but he just makes it so irresistible, you know? It's his charisma. He makes, yeah. he makes it work. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of his secret as a as a great performer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, just the bit where he goes, boom, 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 with the drums, like, exactly in time. I just thought, that's Freddie Mercury to me. That, that's the bit I remember from this performance probably the most, that that bit where he does that so yeah and i think in, i think in the show when he's running around the stage and everything it's a big stage there yeah <laughs> and like 
even if you know there's a solo going or something and he doesn't even sometimes i don't know he doesn't have to sing for a few minutes and he's running around and playing and dancing and and doing whatever <laughs> you can still see him like he's following along he knows exactly where everything is he he he's amazing that way he feels so free on that stage you know like he's running around he's jumping he's dancing he's lying on the floor and you know, just jumping up again and he he does whatever he wants he doesn't care for anything or anyone it's just beautiful to see amazing well you know love of my life is i i mean it's not it's not the best performance of it but you know it's yeah. such a good song that it's yeah. pretty much like whenever totally agree it was a beautiful moment and another one i really liked is uh friends will be friends oh yeah i think that's a really good great performance and the whole narrative that i had in mind regarding this show so this this really kind of uh connected to it with uh You know the whole band together friends will be friends it was I don't know yeah it was sweet um is there any bits which weren't like your favorite bits you tend to skip over or anything like that huh mm like I wouldn't listen to the big spender cover every time it's not great yeah I like I never really loved this song anyway hmm. so yeah I don't know but other than that like even songs that I usually don't love too much I They were just fun here like the song under pressure you know it, it's one of their people love that song yeah and like I, when Barry and I were on a road trip in America you know we listened to to Queen every once in a while and like I remember the moment where I decided I don't want to listen to this song anymore <laughs> like I think we were near Seattle then we were um we we're going hiking that day and I'm not saying it's a bad song but I don't love the the album version too too much but like the live version has all of this added energy and it makes the song so much emotion so it, much it? emotional yeah so much fun I I really really love it like it makes me excited to listen to it with the song I usually skip in uh, I want to break free which is a song that I like but I'm not too much into like it's not one of my favorites the camera pans over the crowd and uh, and like seeing the crowd singing along really made me you know like you enjoy this song the the only bit that like w- wasn't my favorite which i prefer this the album versions mm-hmm. was the brighton rock solo yeah. i thought oh, yeah. was that's cool a, that's a good point i forgot but about maybe that. maybe it just was too experimental for me like i kind of i, I really like the original album version so that that was one bit which i kind of skip over I, i usually just skip to the amazing now i'm here and um I think I think the tutti fruity might have been like the cover which I didn't get into that much mm. but yeah that was about it like everything else sort of was pretty much perfect for me um yeah let's let's go into the speeches so we'll talk about Brian's short one which was um real cute yeah he sort of starts to play um love of my life just to You know to make sure he can still play it and then he goes yeah I got it and then he thought all right I'll give a bit of a word so he says this is the bit where the guitar player gets to speak doesn't have much to say um, but thank you for being here you made us the hottest ticket and we love you I thought that was there wasn't much but Brian Mays is no drama just thankful for everything especially now like he's um, he's making sort of mini you videos during the coronavirus just saying like how are you guys going and stuff and he oh, really yeah he's really and he and mm. in Australia when we had the bushfires he came out with Adam Lambert and did a show I think also he did it um, a few years ago 
um, for the firefighters, but he did it again in 2020, just a few mm. months ago. It's um, nice. or, yeah. And, um, yeah, he's just such a stand up guy. Like he's not, doesn't want anything from anyone. He's just, just says, you know, we love you being here. Like how genuine, like, I mean, I, I do love Zeppelin, but Robert Plant will say things just like, uh, oh, it was a, you know, snowy, we almost didn't get here and like, uh, good to see you showed up and like, can I get some noise and stuff? Like just, you know, like it's a bit of bravado and stuff, but there was nothing like that from Brian May. He's, it's like he's not capable of it. It's just like- No, it's just humble. He's just very humble. He's amazingly humble, especially for the lead guitarist of a rock band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just straight up. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then the second one was... Um, After Another One Bites the Dust. Yeah. So I um, should have done that one first. That one actually comes a bit earlier. But um, yeah, After Another One Bites the Dust, Freddie says, you know, you might have been hearing rumors. And he says, they're talking from here, which if you haven't watched the video, it's probably worth watching it for this because he's he's just saying like, they're talking out of their ass. <laughs> um, and then he says, we'll be together till we fucking will die. And I thought, wow. <laughs> like... Just the interesting use of English syntax plus the <laughs> just just the way he says it, like just doesn't care. And then I don't know why, but the crowd go very wild. Yeah. And then he says, I say what I want, I don't care. I was just like <laughs> no one was questioning you. You know, like everyone's okay with that. He's like, Oh, I don't care. Like my, maybe a manager or something was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, but he was like, Yeah, I say what I want and then um uh, what does he say after that? Um, oh yeah, I try to, I try to leave, but they they won't let me. And then the crowd go, oh, like, the, and he's just like, oh shit, better say something right now because the crowd are like thinking <laughs> I want to leave because it was just a joke. You were, uh, well, yeah. I mean, not really, but also kind of a joke. It's a joke now. Um, <laughs> so he's just like, yeah, but we're not too bad for four aging queens. And then everyone sort of forgets the last ten seconds, and then everyone's back to. Back to normal, so. It's like a really short yeah. speech, but it's charming. Very charming. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of talking, actually. In two hours, actually. Yeah, not a lot. Because Zeppelin talk after every song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just realizing the differences between these bands. After every song. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, I, without this turning into a Led Zeppelin episode, after, <laughs> after particular songs, Robert Plant goes, um, Jimmy Page, guitar, as if... No one, everyone was like, hmm, this guitarist is good. I wonder who it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like, um, John Bonham drums and what, but after he was Moby Dick. And it's just like, yep. Like, <laughs> everyone knew his name. Like, <laughs> but there's nothing like that in Queen. They're, they're very humble. When I looked at the, the list of the songs for the first time, I was a bit disappointed. Now, not at all. Like, I think all of the songs are really amazing. But, I'm still, like, I have a short list of songs that I kind of wish they would play. Uh, I think we can do a two-on-one takedown here, Enon. We're talking about the song, I'm in love with my car. I don't get you, guys. Listen, I, I, I th this song, <laughs> I'm in love with my car, I think it's the third song from the A Night at the Opera album. And it's it's not a typical Queen song. Like, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, like, it's not even Freddie Mercury singing it. It's Roger Taylor, the drummer, singing it. But it's fun and exciting and it's strong and you know who doesn't like cars and all and like in the last couple of days me and peter were talking about that song and, and barrio i don't know if you don't like that song but like 
it's hard for you to accept that we think it's one of the best Queen songs. <laughs> we, it might be my favorite, unironically. <laughs> that's that's the thing because, like, if, if you would have liked it, I would be okay with it. But that it's one of your favorite, or maybe your favorite Queen song. Oh no, it blows my mind. It just means a lot to me for some reason. <laughs> because you love cars. Like I like cars. I'm interested in cars, but like. Not that much. <laughs> there's a there's a YouTube video of Roger Taylor doing I'm in love with my car. And to me, it sounds better than the album version. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But that video of that song, whatever it was, it looks early. It looks like it would have been before 1980, the performance of it. That's my favorite Queen song. So not the album version of I'm in love with my car, but that particular version, because his voice is slightly less filtered, I find. His voice. <sighs> He's such a dreamy Man, his voice. His voice is amazing. He's so dreamy. I'm in love with Roger Taylor, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. He he's I don't know he's something else. I like again. This isn't the typical Queen song. It's not like a fan favorite, but just as a song, it's perfect. You know? Yeah, that was that's my favorite Queen song. That's another yeah, song it's... I really wanted to have on this live album. Um, one of my favorites, it's Death on Two Legs. Oh yeah. The opener from A Night at the Opera. It's a fun song, it's it's kind of powerful, I think, and I, I think it could have like it could really work live. Um what would be what would be your sort of go to favorite Queen song barrier? Definitely someone to love. Yeah, I wanted I it's on my list as well. Another song I wanted them to play on this album, Somebody to Love. Yeah. I like Death on Two Legs, but I I do like the album version enough that I don't I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not having it here. But then again, I agree. Um I don't know what I'm missing. So I, I yeah. could have done a really good version <laughs> of it. Somebody to Love I would have loved. I thought that was um I thought that was missing. It's a um, it's a song that could really work live, you know. Like it's yeah. probably hard to replicate the the backing vocals, but even without that, you know, just have the crowd singing "Somebody to yeah. Love." Find me. It could be just so much fun. I thought that would have been a nice one. Like I love "We Are the Champions," one of my absolute favorites. Um, but I would have liked "After Friends Will Be Friends." They just put that instead. That would have been really cool. That would have mm. been a really good one when everyone's like really sweaty and everything, and everyone's just yelling at the, you know, top of their lungs. But yeah, mm, and, and one last song. I kind of, I don't, I didn't know too much about Queen before listening to this album and reading about them and all. But I kind of expected them to play "Don't Stop Me Now" in every show because it's just, it, it's just a bunch of energy in one song. How can yeah. you not? <laughs> because it will finish the show. <laughs> you can't do anything. As someone words. who's um, not really familiar with the Queen albums, "Don't Stop Me Now" is one of their most popular, right? Mm, might be, yeah, yeah. I mean, other than than uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, that's true. They couldn't have got away with not doing that song. But what's what's interesting is like there's some like if you go to a Michael Jackson concert and he doesn't play "Beat It" or "Smooth Criminal," that it just wouldn't happen. Like yeah. he has to play a certain amount of songs. Like there's this, like this, there's some which you can put in and put out, like Jam or something like that. But Smooth Criminal, Beat It, Billy Jean. Yeah, and the Rolling Stones yeah. not playing Satisfaction, that can happen. And the yeah, and Queen not playing Bohemian Rhapsody, that will never not happen. Playing Stairway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it can't happen. But then there's there's a few extra songs which I don't know as a because obviously someone. Somebody who doesn't know the albums perfectly well. I would have thought 
Um, like, because like the songs I think are popular. I I didn't grow up with this stuff, so I don't know if they were popular. You know, like I thought mm. Battle of Evermore was a popular Led Zeppelin song. Turns out, kind of middle of the range. So. I would have thought Don't Stop Me Now was like a non-negotiable had to be in it. I thought, I thought Somebody so to Love was going to be in here. Same here. I, so, I was surprised to not see those two. Yeah. And it's not like I'm disappointed because like you have to kick out something else. But I don't know. Maybe there is an argument to be made for doing this. But there's some songs like you could say um, In the Lap of the Gods, Seven Seas of Rye or um, The Impromptu Bit or um, Tutti Free and all this stuff, like all the covers they could have kicked them out and just done their absolute best ones. But I guess what's the point? If they're just going to only do the absolute best, then every concert would be the exact same. Yeah. And knowing that they probably thought they had another five years in them, at, at least. least. Like, say, say they were performing 1988, 1989, if Freddie's Health was better, they probably would be performing Bohemian Rhapsody in every one. But then instead of doing Radio Gaga, they do Somebody to Love. And instead yeah. of doing the um, I Want to Break Free, they're doing- um, Don't Stop Me Now. They're doing I'm In Love With My Car. So oh, yeah. in a way, like sometimes isolated looking at one concert, you say, why didn't they just pull out their best songs? But then if, you, if you're if you a fan and you listen to every, every one of their concerts, it would be annoying if they played every, every one of their best songs at yeah, the time. Yeah, I agree. Like- it's good to have a bit of novelty in there, you know? Definitely, so, yeah. Yeah, I sort of came around on that <laughs> while I was talking about it because I was like, yeah, why didn't they? But I guess that's a good point. It, it would be nice if every concert didn't have the same thing whilst yeah. also giving people what they want to an extent. Um, Queen said goodnight before coming back for six encore songs. In my opinion, that was a that was an early time to call it. What do you think? Yeah, I never I never understood the concept. I think it's kind of a way to repump the energy because you think it's over, then yeah. they go back on stage. Yeah, ah. yeah but it's so it's so expected now. Like it's never a surprise it anymore. It's so yeah. expected. Like it's more like how many encores are we going to do now? Yeah, because <laughs> I've seen so many live concerts where the band haven't played their like most recognizable song and then they go oh guys see you later like yeah. oh, bye <laughs> and then then everyone's just like ah, no you're not that's a bluff like we know and then like they're like yeah you got us and then we'll play our best song and i'm like <laughs> no you can't do that if you're gonna yeah. play your set and then have like one or two this is where they should have done the covers i reckon i reckon they should have done like all their all their songs and then said oh yeah, let's do an encore then and then do covers or something. I mean, it would have been less cool because the covers turned out to be like some of the best songs in the, in the gig. But I think like as a matter of policy, I reckon if I was in a band and I was good um, and I, I would just like, I would I would make the encore literally bonus songs, like stuff yeah. we might not have played otherwise, you know? But We Will Rock You and We Are The Champions are, they're non-negotiables to me, so... Especially Radio Gaga, actually. I think it's again, it's just it's just a matter of of managing the show's energy. It's showmanship, because yeah. because that's why you put the cover songs or, or the less known ones, uh, <laughs> because you also give you give a chance to the to the audience to kind of catch their breath and and relax. Yeah, and and like a good show is not is not something that just goes 
better and better and better and better. It it no, it got its lows and then it goes back up and it's amazing again. And you have to finish on a high note. That's why you finish with the best with the best song. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I get it. It's just like there's just the concept of an encore is fascinating to me. I think it I think it was more relevant when, you know, you had bands playing in smaller places and they'd play the whole set. Yeah. You know? I don't know, maybe it's not a good example, but when I was playing in a band, um, we always prepared a few extra songs in case, in case. like songs that we didn't really want to play in our set, that we didn't think were fitting in our set, but we did prepare them in case people would want us to play more so we could have more to yeah. play. Like we didn't leave anything out of the set to play in an encore, but if the, the people did want an encore, We'd have something prepared, you know, just in yeah. case. That's totally how it should work. I think the physics of encores sort of get lost when there's like a hundred thousand people and they book the venue. It's only them, and they sort of talk. They would have talked to all their tour managers. The tour managers would know the set list and everything. So, like, I think the physics of doing an encore sort of is. I think it's. I. I, I don't think it's an encore. It's just more like it's just like something they say. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it was like an early time to call it because six songs is a long encore, you know. <laughs> um, are you a fan of 70s Queen or 80s Queen? It's hard to say. Um, there, there's so much good in both. They are sort of split over the decade, aren't they? Like they sort of, their biggest album was 75 and they were recording not too long before that. Like they only started- 72 was their first album? Yeah, so- they peaked. No, well, not if I say they peaked early, that sounds bad. But you know what I mean. Like they, <laughs> they got really good really quick. That's a better way to say it. But they were still making great songs in '84, and then they sort of settled down in the late '80s. No, they still had a few hits. They still had a few hits. That's for sure. But um, I mean, like, okay, say, say from when they started to till this performance. Would you, if you had to, would you take all of their albums pre-1980 or all of their albums post-1980? What what bucket would you take? Looking at the list here, I would go pre-1980, mainly because of um, A Night at the Opera and um, yeah, and the stuff from Sheer Heart Attack. But it's, it's a really hard decision with this band. Also, like, there's a lot of songs here, like Hammer to Fall, that I would expect it to be like one of their early 70s song but it's 1984 oh wow yeah that sounds you know Hamburg Fall to me sounds a lot like Tie Your Mother Down which is an early song yeah yeah exactly they sort of sound like guitar riff led you know yeah hmm, interesting totally agree yeah so it, it's a really mixed kind of thing I'm torn on it I I thought they 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 work well with some songs but I don't want necessarily an album full of them but um, yeah, I'll go early Queen. Like, I kind of underestimated their first two albums, Queen and Queen 2. Like, I listened to them, just a few songs off each. Um, and I just assumed, like, first two albums, like, just getting together, they wouldn't be that good. But, you know, they had some pretty stone-cold crazy, like, that. some good songs there. Mm, yeah. And then Sheer Heart Attack was um, probably my f- one of my favourites, well, is my favourite pre-Bohemian Rhapsody. And then... Through seventy five to seventy nine, it was it was pretty it was pretty solid. So I'll, I'll yeah, go seventies, but 
Um, they they sure released a lot in the eighties, which were good as well. So they they had a reasonably long life as a band. Like it it feels like they were cut short, but really, like nineteen ninety two, that's almost twenty years. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think so, they had like fourteen albums all in all. Yeah. I may be wrong about that though. Don't don't quote me on that. That's <laughs> yeah, all good. We'll just we'll just edit it with the, yeah. with the nice <laughs> the ladies right numbers or something like that. I think they yeah. had like fifteen albums or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm 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 really glad like that we the Jupiter chose to do this album. Like I said, like I listened to a lot of Queen throughout my life. I always wanted to get into the history of the band and the members. I always wanted to listen to more of their stuff. And I never really did that. So I can't believe it took me this long. I, I realized that I knew Freddie Mercury and Brian May kind of, I knew what they looked like, but I never saw a video of them. And I think that seeing Freddie Mercury actually perform kind of changed the way I'll hear Quinn's music from now on. You know, like I think just seeing him perform has injected a lot of energy into their music. Um, I really enjoyed the opportunity to learn about the band's history. I thought it was extremely interesting and, and you know, obviously kind of sad. And I learned a lot about the band members. I, I even found out about a book that Brian May wrote, like, I think two years ago, about how he built his guitar, the Red Special, which I really wanted to get my hands on and give it a read. Cool stuff. Awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it was a really easy one to choose. I was looking at a few Wembley gigs, um from bands like Foo Fighters and um, Michael Jackson, as I told you guys, but I landed on Queen because I thought this is potentially something that I would like to do a deeper dive into. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something just to show what, like I wanted to see the heart of Queen and see if it was for me. And I think I would definitely recommend um, listening to this album for a, um, if you're getting into Queen, um, and you're thinking, why would I listen to a live album? Why wouldn't I just listen to the regular albums? This is just, this is like pure Queen. Yeah. It's like unadulterated Freddie Mercury, Brian May, Roger Taylor, and um, John John Deacon. Deacon. John, yeah. John Deacon, yes. Um, I'm certain. <laughs> and <laughs> so I would definitely recommend this if, you're, if you weren't a big Queen fan like me. And I'd also recommend the movie uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which sort of got me into... Um, listening to this stuff a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy with what we've um, listened to in the last couple of weeks. And um, I think I'll be going through some of the albums in the next um, in the next few months while we go through this um, lockdown period. And um, if, there's, if there's one more thing I can recommend is also go to Brian May Com. So that's just Brian May and then C-O-M on youtube and that's brian may's sort of personal youtube and he's been doing a lot of um micro concerts micro cons which he calls them and he does he does jams with um adam lambert and oh, um, so cool. roger taylor yeah he's just he's giving updates on how everyone's going in his life and he's um wishing everyone um obviously safe um, travels with coronavirus and um, he's doing he's doing a lot to sort of help people um, get through this um, coronavirus which is um, it just really shows what sort of person he is it's um, quite amazing so yeah thank you Dr. Brian May and uh, yeah <laughs> um, look forward to seeing what he he drops he drops a new video pretty much every day so um, oh, cool. it's a lot to look forward to yeah 
So, um, yeah, thanks again, guys, for being so enthusiastic about this album. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just <laughs> Our pleasure. Amazing fun. Yeah, definitely. For our next episode, we'll be watching the first season of the TV show Flight of the Concords. Um, Barry, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I actually don't know anything about it except that it's supposed to be very good. I heard from a couple of people and that's definitely uh, a culture gap that we need to quest for. That's perfect. That's exactly what what this is for. Yeah. Tell me about it. What do you want me to tell you, man? I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Daiko Waititi, uh, I think, directed a few of the episodes. I didn't have any idea that, that he was involved in some way. <laughs> Did someone say Taika Waititi? <laughs> and the two people from Flight of the Concord, uh, Brett McKenzie and uh, Jermaine Clement, they were in um, Taita's uh, What We Do in the Shadow. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that I that I know. It's all just syllables now. After you said Taika Waititi, everything's just noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's a TV show from 2000, 2007, maybe, the, the first season. And I think there it's like a TV show about two people who play music together and they're broke and they try to live the day-to-day life. It's supposed to be... I'm not going to say a cult following. I don't know if it has a cult following, but it's supposed to be like something that people really love. Also, another kind of interesting thing is that since we've done our um, Hunt for the Wilder People episode, or the, the one we've talked about Taika Waititi's movie, the number of downloads we received from New Zealand really bumped up. Since that episode came out, I think that other than uh, the United States, most of our downloads were just from New Zealand. So... Maybe doing something, uh, an- another thing that is New Zealand-centric, maybe they'll find it interesting. So uh, we-, we think of our audience. Let's lean into this New Zealand thing. Like, let's let's try to, you know, build up that following, you know, and then uh, yeah. take out some billboards in in <laughs> Au- Auckland and <laughs> we- well- Wellington. Uh, yeah, all these places, uh, they'll, they'll love that. They'll, they'll dig Those that. Those made-up places. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've always thought of myself really as a New Zealander, so <laughs> I'm one of you. Say, so. by the way, I told you there's a new uh, TV show on Netflix called uh, The Midnight Gospel. Did you have a chance to watch it? I haven't. Why? Should no, I? Same here. Well, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It's an animation for, for actual podcast episodes. Um, and there's kind of a overall um, plot that is going on and in one of them i think like the second episode then he has like a new subscriber and he reads about the new subscriber to see that he loves ice cream so he tries like the entire episode to get to a place where we can talk about ice cream and and maybe send (laughs) it over to him to get to get his uh his love so that's kind of what we're doing with new zealand right we're trying to (laughs) no i'm joking we will we will sell ourselves out for Two listeners, two yeah. extra listeners will do like. We love New Zealand. <laughs> we'll add a fern lift to our uh, artwork. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll totally sell ourselves out. Like, yep, for just for just say the words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal, and thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. See ya. See ya. Matthias Carnero, host of the Controller Disconnected podcast. It's a little show I make by myself where I talk about whatever games I've been playing recently and other subjects related to games as well. Sometimes I even do movie reviews just to shake things up. 
if you enjoy listening to my weird accent, episodes are released every week wherever podcasts are sold. Well, actually, podcasts are free, but you know what I mean.